the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Roswell in the 21st century is a detailed re-examination of the Roswell UFO crash case. I have studied the evidence for more than 30 years, and I now put that evidence under a microscope in a cold case examination of the facts. These facts might not please everyone. They are based on my comprehensive investigation that took years to complete, but they do lead to the conclusion that whatever fell was not built on Earth. The best of Project Blue Book is based on the 22-year-long investigation conducted by the Air Force. But the book goes far beyond that, bringing in evidence that was uncovered long after Project Blue Book was ordered terminated. Using facts that were unavailable to the Air Force investigators, I was able to prove that the Air Force manipulated the data and drew unrealistic conclusions about the UFO sightings reported to them. My different perspective shows there was more to Project Blue Book than even the Air Force knew. Both books are available at Amazon.com. Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com, P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, phone, or in person, visiting one of her retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404-474-0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404 404- Four seven four zero zero eight six. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, 
and thank you for joining me, Gwilda Wiecka, on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading esoteric and scientific experts supporting the co-creation of a better tomorrow. You are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour, we'll be exploring evolution through innovation and creative thinking. Years ago, educating children was seen as necessary to the future strength of our countries. As a result, most governments provided schools supporting the production of quality citizens and leaders. In the process of ensuring that every child received the education needed, standardized tests were created. At first blush, it was a good idea. Over time, however, passing the standardized tests became the goal rather than teaching children to use their God-given gifts by honoring their individuality and creativity. Eventually, the very things that encourage creativity, such as music and the arts, were deemed unnecessary luxuries and removed from the system. Now we find ourselves in a unique situation. The old tried-and-true methods are rapidly failing us. We need innovative and creative thinkers to come up with new solutions to our rapidly mounting problems. Yet we've all been trained in standardized thinking, spoon-fed ideas and entertainment through the media rather than encouraged to create our own. How can we resurrect the atrophied ability to be innovative and create? If we do, can solutions be found to the current problems? It would appear we're well behind the power curve. Can we uncover and engage this much-needed skill in time? With us this hour to delve into the concept of innovation and creative thinking is Dr. Firestein. Dr. Firestein has taught people to lead the creative process worldwide. He is Senior Faculty and Associate Professor at the Center for Applied Imagination at S. Sunny Buffalo, author of Create in a Flash, a Leader's Recipe for Breakthrough Innovation and President of Innovation Resources, Inc. His website, rogerfirestein.com. Roger, on behalf of our audience and myself, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start by, what's your educational background? Well, I'm a music major. I originally started out as a music major from the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley, Colorado. And I began to, as I was going through, uh, through college, I went through college, I earned my way through college by teaching guitar lessons. And I, my beginning students, I found, were not enjoying their beginning lessons very much. And so I thought if I could get them to get more creative, they'd enjoy their lessons more. So I started reading about creativity in this place in uh, the State University of New York College at Buffalo. It come, began coming up again and again in the literature. In 1977, I, I called out here, was able to talk to the director at the time, Dr. Sidney Parnes. And in 1978, I moved from Greeley, Colorado to Buffalo, New York to study creativity and innovation. Since then, I've been a faculty member in 1984 at the center. It's the only place like it in the world. It's the largest collection of folks worldwide that study creativity and innovation on a world basis. We have an international program and a distance program. I got my master's degree there in creativity studies in 1979. I got a doctorate in organizational communication in 1984. Been on the faculty there since 1984, which is why I'm the senior faculty. Been there a lot the longest. And then I consult nationally and internationally with, with organizations uh, that range from Fortune 500 companies to universities, to churches, to schools. And then, as you mentioned, the latest book, Creating a Flash, A Leader's Recipe for Breakthrough Innovation, is really just a summary of the last 40 years of what I've learned about creativity and innovation and the things that stick, the, people, the things that people can use on a consistent basis. And so we have a lot of, we have text in the book, but we also have lots of pictures in the book because a book so, on creativity needs to be, have pictures. Needs to be creative with pictures. <laughs> needs to be yeah, creative, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So it, is creative, creativity something we're either born with or not, or can it be developed? You see, there's the big question, the nature-nurture thing. Of course, there's, uh, we have different abilities in many different ways, but our, our belief is, and our research shows, is that you can become deliberately more creative. And there's certain specific techniques and methods to do that. What we've done is we've studied people that have been labeled as highly creative um, over the years. We take a look at the behaviors that they do. 
And so we can teach you to do that. One of the things that highly creative people do is that when they come up with ideas, they don't judge them right away. They just get them out there. And so one of the guidelines for generating ideas is to just defer judgment. Don't judge those ideas until you have a number of ideas to choose from. Boy, that has a lot to do with self-esteem, though, doesn't it? It sure does. Absolutely. And it's crucial. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at the guidelines for generating ideas, defer judgment, strive for quantity, seek wild and unusual ideas, combine and build on other ideas, you can transfer those directly to self-esteem. Well, you know, some of our most creative people are the ones that have been labeled with ADD, ADHD. And then, of course, there goes their little self-esteem. So, um, you know, oh, you're wild thinking, you know, this isn't grounded. Uh, but if we stay in the mundane day-to-day, we don't come up with new solutions. Well, that's absolutely correct. And there's some myths out there about creativity. You know, people people believe that only the highly, the the the, uh, the, the eminent creators are creative. That we call that. This is sort of the the four C model of creativity. So we have the the big C creativity, which is the big creators. Then we have mini little C creativity, which is the kind of creativity we do all the time. You know, making a delicious meal out of a, out of uh, the re- left leftovers in in the refrigerator. Then we have mini-C creativity, which is learning uh, and coming up with new insights. Then we have pro-C creativity, which is professional creativity. So people in your business that are professional creative types, that's what they do for a living. But we're all creative. We create in different and valuable ways. And that ties directly into self-esteem. So right now, currently, there's much peer pressure to conform in our school systems. What effect is is this having on our ability to be creative? Well, that's the bad news. Um, Since 1990, uh, children's ability to think creatively has been decreasing significantly. And this is particularly true in kindergarten and the first two to three grades, where really it's essential that that creative spark be be nurtured, be, be fanned. Um, because one of the things that we know as children get older, peer pressure begins to come in. That's one of the things that stifles creativity. But one of the things that we're also learning, as you mentioned in your introduction, is people are looking for the one right answer. They want to pass the standardized test. And as we all know, there's lots of different answers. The other thing is people are given the problem to solve. What happens today is that we don't just have problems presented to us like what's two plus two. We have problems presented to us like what we're facing in the world today, you know, undefined problems, things that we haven't experienced before. And that's where creativity is essential. Yeah, it's it's time because the, the same same old solutions aren't working in our very intense times. I mean, that's exactly. becoming obvious. Um, so what do you see the major things that are causing a loss of creativity? Well, I think a number of things. One, um, you know, the idea of no child left behind uh, and making sure that everybody passed the standardized test. You know, there's this old, old story about um, the, the animals went to school and there was this, the squirrel and the, and the fish and the robin and the, the uh, squirrel wasn't very good at swimming and neither was the robin. And, and the, so he got graded poorly on that test. And uh, the fish wasn't very good at climbing trees, so he got graded poorly on that test. And, and neither one of them were very good at flying, so they got graded poorly on that test. Well, you know, we're all different. And we're expected, if we're expected to come out in in this sort of standardized mold, we're just making people to work in factories, right? And um, we're we're not working in factories anymore. We're working with problems that are very, very well defined. So one, I think this whole idea of standardized testing. The other thing is too, is I also believe is that people and children are particularly overscheduled. Um, there's always something for them to do. If there's not soccer practice, there's hockey practice. If there's not hockey practice, there's baseball practice. We need open time. The other thing is to spend time outdoors. Uh, recently, the studies have been done at looking at children that in many cases, they spend only four or five minutes outdoors. Well, I don't know what it was like when you were growing up, but my parents said, get outside and play. So those, and, and so in that case, it's it's the lack of time for imagination. It's overstructuring and expecting the one right answer. And that doesn't work. Well, you brought up an interesting word, imagination. Mm-hmm. You know, we're taught to be in our brain, not in our imagination. They're two different places. They, while they communicate with one another, the imagination is free flow and the brain is very linear. When children are told, oh, honey, it, it's not real, it's just in your imagination, increasingly, we don't go there. And isn't that where all creativity begins? 
Well, Albert Einstein once said that imagination is more important than knowledge because knowledge is limited and imagination spans the world and the universe. And that's what got Albert Einstein doing all of his incredible stuff. That was his imagination that created the theories of relativity. All ideas begin in the imagination, and we can have all of the knowledge, which is crucial. Um, I mean, if you're going to be creative in a field, and if you're going to be an eminent creator, you need to know about the field. I mean, if you're going to be a great composer, you need to know how to write music. You know, I need to know how to read music. You need to know what all the instruments do. But that's just, there's a difference between a technician and a composer. And I think in many cases, what we've turned out is we've turned out children or folks that are just being technicians. They're reciting back what they're expected to do on the test. They're not asked to think critically and creatively. So imagination is absolutely crucial. And unfortunately, with uh, with uh, solutions that are ready-made, like video games and things like that, and that's not a room for imagination. We need to make up those games. Yeah, well, it's about time for us to take a commercial break. However, on the other side, I'd really like to get into this being spoon-fed and what impact it's having on our, our ability to be creative. So Roger and I will return shortly. Don't go away. You're listening to the Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. We will be back. Are you looking for psychic services that empower as well as provide accurate information? Jenny is a third-generation psychic with extensive esoteric training. A practicing professional intuitive for over 30 years, her accuracy is astounding. While most psychics can read what will happen to you if you don't change directions, Jenny understands the future is subjective. While there is a river of time we all traverse, that river has many waves, eddies, currents, and tributaries from which to choose. With Jenny e. as your guide, you can explore the many possible outcomes in the river of time and navigate your course to the one of your liking. Take control of your future. Book your life-changing session with Jenny today at www.gen-e.net. That's www.gen-e.net. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. Is formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet's day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Again, 
This is Mission Evolution, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To all the members of our faithful and thoughtful audience, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about evolving through innovative thinking? Speaking of which, this in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled Dying to Live Near-Death Experience. BT states, it is impossible that your guest really died as there were no angels and the place he describes is nothing like what the Bible teaches of heaven. Thank you, BT, for your input. People of all religions and nationalities report having near-death experiences and they're surprisingly similar. I would ask, if not pure love and unity, what is heaven? Curious, dear audience? Visit our archives at missionevolution.org, listen to the episode entitled Dying to Live Near-Death Experience, and let us know what you think. Email me at information at missionevolution.org, info at missionevolution.org, and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the very next show. With us this hour discussing creative thinking and innovation is Roger Firestein. His website, rogerfirestein.com. Roger, we were just getting into, this is another one of my concerns. Do you mm-hmm. see the use of television and the media to occupy children impacting their ability to create for themselves? Absolutely. It's a wonderful babysitter, all right? And once again, as we talked about in the first segment, you know, people believe that a problem can be solved in 30 minutes or two, or an hour, all right? And that there's some wonderful solution out there. So one, I think in many cases, it's shortened attention spans. We've talked about that a lot. That's going on a lot. And the other thing, too, is it gives us the idea that there are these tried and true solutions, right? And most television shows follow a usual plot. You can usually predict it. But just by sort of being spoon-fed and watching, you're a participant, okay? You're not a participant. You're just having it being, being spoon-fed to you. What you need to be able to do and what we find is to be involved in it, to participate in the problem-solving activity. There's wonderful activities out there for children. One of the things is called Odyssey of the Mind, where in grade school and high school, children um, make up inventions and they, they, they make up inventions to solve particular problems. And they have wonderful competitions around this. Um, and it's extraordinary the ideas, the things that, that these children make and begin to make happen. And that really expands their thinking, as opposed to being a passive receiver of information. These folks are digesting information and making different connections. And that's the essence of creativity. You know, years ago, they started opening up Montessori schools. Mm-hmm. And, and they're driven by the child's gifts and interests versus standardized stuff. And now they're finding that some of the most uh, – creative and successful adults actually went to Montessori as children. So it does make a difference. And isn't Montessori just preschool? I mean, or is it, is it uh, through um, the lower grades? I can't remember how far it goes. It goes through eighth grade. Yeah. So okay, um, my, my daughter was in Montessori school until about, uh, what's well, it about the third or fourth grade. And, and now she's in medical school. And so, um, you know, just a little proud dad here. Uh, but <laughs> But but that whole thing about, and I have other friends who are in the innovation and creativity business that have been Montessori school teachers and have worked with, with these children. And yes, because what we've done is the kids uh, focus on areas that they're interested in. Now, they do need to have some broadness in education, but if they want to really want to focus on an area, they can do that. The other thing is when we give children um, bits of information in 45-minute segments, which I believe is about what the period is for a school, you don't get any continuity. You don't get any depth in education. Don't get any depth in learning. And so if we need to, I recommend that we reorganize schools so that folks can spend days or weeks working on a particular topic, digging deeply into that. Also, a lot of things that are going on, particularly in education at the higher level, is we're doing more with group instruction. So the, the professor isn't just sort of the sage on the stage up there doling out information. The professor is a facilitator of learning where students are exchanging ideas, exchanging data. That's much more realistic than having just someone up in front of the room and children in rows and getting the information fed to them and then regurgitated on a test. That's right. not real. Yeah. Yeah, because when when they become adults, then they're where, where's the sage on the stage? All of a sudden, right. they're hanging in the wind. They've never been taught to interact and create together as a group. And boy, do we need that now. We certainly do. And that's the other thing, too. That I think one of the things that's going on right now is, in many cases, a failure of education. Whether you take a look at the political system, what we're facing right now with world crises is, is that people haven't been, haven't been taught to think creatively, to think innovatively, to redefine what the problem is. 
And the other thing that's really occurring right now is that this is the time for creativity. Oftentimes people think that creativity functions where we have no limitations and whatever comes to mind, you can get up there and, and you have unlimited money. No, creativity thrives when you have limitations. A kite needs a string to fly, all right? We need limitations to work within and then we can just blow those limitations out, redefine the problem, come up with so many ideas within that boundary. Now's the time to be creative. We might even find a, um, a creative solution for toilet paper, right? <laughs> that has been the rage, you know. <laughs> we so think of the, cur the currency of the future is toilet paper, right? Exactly. <laughs> so does, who would have thunk? Does vegging in front of a television impact the creativity as, adult, as adults as well? Of course, yeah. I mean, because all you are, you're just an observer there. You're not participating. You're not doing anything. So as an adult, you know, get into your workshop, you know, do, uh, my, my mother who is 89 years old always has a project going on. She's a quilter. She did calligraphy. Um, she makes purses. Uh, mm -hmm. she makes all these extraordinary things. We actually talk about her in the book and, and I was just talking to her because she had a birthday this week in her 89th birthday and mm -hmm. she's always very busy. She's always got stuff going on. And she said, when my friends call me, they say that they're bored. She goes, I can't understand that. I have all this stuff going on. So creativity actually thrives later on in years. Um, you don't just you're not just creative early on. Creativity is a, actually a life force that keeps you going, and we have research on that, that that says that. So you know, do something. Don't just sit there passively. Make a difference in the world. You know, quilt, uh, draw, write. Um, and there's so many things that we can do. There's so much richness uh, in this world of things that we can create with. It's extraordinary. We know the the mindset that you know you work until you retire and then you go you know sit with a fishing pole maybe if if you mm -hmm. have anything left in you, that mindset is taking away our richest resource, which is the the substance that the elders have gathered over years and years and years. And if they don't continue to participate and create, we're losing all of that. And I see that as being a huge problem. Do you? Absolutely, it's a really huge problem. And the other thing that you find too is that people that are doing the work that they love, they don't retire. I mean, you know, I love what I'm doing and I'm going to be 65 this year, you know, and I just, the sixth book just came out and we're having all these wonderful conversations and I'm working with young people in this and we're teaching and everything. Why would I retire when I'm doing something that I'm passionate about? Exactly. And so, and, and I think that was the intention originally that, okay, you retire, then you do what you want to do. Well, wait a second. Why don't you do what you want to do and make a living doing that? And so I tell my students, as one of my mentors said to me, do what you love and the money's going to follow. So, but it's important to do what you love. Well, that's, isn't that doing what we love? Isn't that the guidepost to take us into where we're truly creative and can make a difference? Absolutely. I mean, do you think um, that uh, when the Beatles first came out, they they played music for money? <laughs> you know, no, they played wherever they could. Um, and and so uh, that's the that's the also the thing that we call intrinsic motivation. We find that people are going to be most creative when they're intrinsically motivated by the task. In other words, they're doing the task for doing the task. Um, so if you love to garden chances are you're going to be probably pretty creative about your gardening. If you love to write, chances are you're going to write some pretty creative and interesting stuff. Um, if you like to to, uh, to build things and, and you have the skills, you're going to create some pretty creative stuff. So one is motivated intrinsically because you love to do it, then having some task skills so that you know how to do it. And then the third thing is the motivation to do it. Um, and that's the thing. I'll take a person that's motivated and intrinsically uh, motivated anytime and, and because they can move the task forward. What about the other side of that coin, though? Um, I find that I can be doing dishes or laundry mm -hmm. and I still find joy in the task. Um, and it seems like we've labeled so many things as mundane and beneath us that we're taking the joy out of everyday life. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Well, there's some wonderful Zen things around that. You know, when walking, just walk. When sitting, just sit. Uh, when carrying wood, carry wood. Um, when doing the dishes, just be present with that. And that's a wonderful opportunity for two things. One, to just enjoy the moment, to be present, to quiet yourself, and to, to experience a little bit of mindfulness around that. And the other thing that we find is that when people are doing routine tasks like doing dishes or driving or mowing the lawn, creative ideas begin to surface because they're not judging those ideas. So what I'll tell folks is if you're working on a particular problem, 
put it on the back burner and be ready for that idea to surface while you're doing dishes, while you're, you're doing something time. else, while you're doing yeah. something else, or while you're falling asleep at night. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I I have this funny thing that I've done all my life, and that's to find the absolute best and easiest, most expedient way to do mundane tasks. Do them mm. that way every time, which frees up my imagination to go elsewhere. And if if we can if we can it becomes meditative really doesn't it it certainly does and it's really funny that you mentioned that because when i teach my classes my students go do you wear the same clothes all the time so for a person in the creative business i've got like five blue pinstripe shirts and jeans and stuff that i wear consistently because one of the things that we think about is decision fatigue in other words when you have those routine mundane tasks you don't have to make decisions about it you put your mind on on neutral you do it and then you leave all that other bandwidth in your mind available for those new ideas to begin to surface. So you're actually nurturing your creativity that way. It's amazing, isn't it? It yeah, really is. It's just amazing. So uh, we are just about to come upon another break. But on the other side of it, Roger, I'd really like to go into this wonderful concept you've come up with, uh, deliberate creativity. You game? I sure am. <laughs> okay. But it is time for another quick pause. Roger and I will return to our discussion shortly. So you stay right there. This is the Mission Evolution, where we come to you through the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. How would your life change if you could develop the business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money? Do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster? Then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the Goal For It online course. The course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your dreams and imagine more success. Go to findhiddenmoney.com. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide audience if you have seen a ufo had a close encounter seen a ghost bigfoot lake monster or a story that you would like to share or have investigated contact me rob mcconnell by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll free 1-800-610-7035 extension 143 and on skype xzone radio tv for more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit iconquality.com. 
Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire Leading Edge Information Packed episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. Our special guest this hour is Roger Firestein. We're speaking about innovation and creativity. His website, rogerfirestein.com. So, Roger, as promised before we... Uh, took a break. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd like to go into your concept of deliberate creativity. What is that? Well, there's a number of things here. First, if we take a look at how to be deliberately creative, there's a couple of things that we really want to stress. One, we've talked about this a little earlier, is is to not judge ideas while you generate them. And the other is to make connections. So let's first talk about the deferred judgment principle. So when you're sitting around and you're wanting to try to solve a particular problem, let me back up just a second. First thing is to have a well-defined problem. And the language that we use to describe a problem is really going to determine how we're going to solve that problem. For oh, example. I, lo- I love that idea. Because, there it is. Yeah. Because it's like, it seems like we create solutions to assumed problems and we're chasing our tail. Exactly. So let's play around with this just for a minute. So say you're working on something and somebody says, we don't have any money for that. What does that do to your brain? It stops your thinking. Your brain goes, okay, let's not be looking around. We have no money for this, but let's try this. Uh, Let's rephrase that and say, how might we raise the money? Or how might we reduce the cost? Those two phrases prompt your mind to begin to search for ideas. You're using language to tell your brain to go look for ideas. So the way you phrase a problem is essential if you want to go out and solve that problem. So we use words like how to or how might. That's the first thing. So... Um, so say, you know, you know, how might we increase the audience that we're working with? Well, okay, there's a well-defined problem there. So let's take that as a problem that we're going to work on. So let's then, or, or what I like to call them is creative questions. There's a distinction, I think, between problems because they have sort of a negative connotation to them. So when you're really working with creativity, you're really questioning the, the original idea, the original concept. So let's come up with some creative questions. So how might we increase our audience for our broadcast? Great creative question there. Then set about generating some ideas for solving this. And here's the thing that you're going to find. We have what's called the one-third, one-third, one-third principle. And I think you're going to love this, Gwilda. The first third of the ideas, so let's say you're trying to generate ideas for solving this problem. We recommend setting an idea quota. So we're going to go for about 30 or 35 ideas for solving this problem. Okay, great. The first 10 to 12 ideas tend to be the usual ideas for solving the problem. These are the ideas that you've thought of before. The ideas are already running around in people's heads. The next third, from about idea 12 to 20, 24, are the more unusual ideas, the goofy ideas, the ridiculous yet sometimes brilliant ideas. Now, those ideas spur the new innovations, the new connections that occur later on in the creative process at about idea 25 to 35 or so. Incidentally, if you hit your quote of about 35 ideas and you're really moving, let yourself go. You'll be real pleased with the ideas that you get after that quota. But the key learning date from that is if we're sitting around and generating 10 or 12 ideas for solving a problem and you think you're getting real creative, you're not. All you're doing is getting those ideas that are already rummaging around in people's heads. The creativity comes in the stretch. The innovation comes in the stretch. I love that. In the stretch. In the stretch. But don't we need to back up and examine what we view as the problem to start out with? We can define it well, but, but if it's not really the problem, we're wasting our time. How do we decide if it is indeed worth our, worth our zeal? Boy, I'm so glad you asked that because the same principle that you use to generate ideas, you use to redefine what the problem is. So let's say the problem is, you know, how to increase our broadcasts, how to increase our members, um, or how to increase our reach. What we recommend then is to generate 10 or 12 or 15 different ways to state the problem, then go back and review that. And oftentimes, what we think is the problem isn't the problem at all, as you mentioned. It might be a symptom. It might be something that's off in left field that doesn't relate to it. And in my work, when I've worked with groups um, all over the world, 90% of the time, or I'd say about 99%, what the group, what the client thinks is the initial definition of the problem is not the definition of the problem at all. So that's why we recommend, as we talked about, not only generating ideas, but generating lots of different definitions of the problem. Then you can take a look and say, oh, that's the issue there, or that's the issue there. Or there's two or three creative questions that we have to solve. So you're right on the money with that. Don't accept the first definition of the problem. Redefine it just like you generate lots of ideas. 
Well, you know, one thing that's really up right now is everybody's kind of going into fear. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. And that puts us back into the, the animal brain, the mm-hmm. fight or flight, and there goes logic out the window. How do you have ways of settling down, even though you're confronted with a huge problem so that you can engage your creativity? Yes, and we talk about this in Creating a Flash. One of the things that we talk about is stress is a perceived lack of options. Let me just say that again. Stress or anxiety is a perceived lack of options. I in really other like words, that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, because what happens in these situations is people come up once again with one or two or three options as far as what they're going to do. All right. As we talked about earlier, we have a limiting situation here. You're, you're not going to be going outside or going to restaurants. Well, what are all the other things that you might do? You could learn to cook. You could spend more time learning a course online. You could read. So once again, if you have that skill of creativity, which we all do, and then we apply it deliberately, instead of coming up with just one or two or three things you can do to occupy your time, or instead of getting stressed out about the things that you can't do, well, turn it around. How might we use this time that we have available? It was very interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine. And she said, uh, have you looked at the Quilters website lately? I said, no, I don't watch the Quilters website. She said, <laughs> the Quilters are going crazy because they get to stay home and quilt. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the tools I like to teach is, you know, when uh, when a situation comes up that you see, oh, this is really bad. Oh, you know, we go into doom and gloom and fear and, you know, back into that animal brain. Um, if you can take time to say, okay, and be, you know, to every, there's always another side of the coin. What are the benefits? What are the things to be grateful for in this situation? Does that kick in innovation? Absolutely. What you've done is you've essentially redefined the problem instead of, and once again, when we used the example earlier, we don't have any money. Well, how to raise the money. Okay. How to reduce the cost when you're saying that there's no benefits in this. Well, how might we find the benefits? And there's a wonderful activity that one of my mentors used to do, and it's called What's Good About It? And so he would come up with this kind of crazy thing like saying, look, uh, say all of a sudden you found that you have seven fingers on one hand. What's good about it, all right? Well, you can open ketchup bottles faster. You know, you can play musical instruments better. So it's flipping it around. It's saying, well, here's a situation. Well, what's the good in the situation? And we're not being lighthearted about this at all. But what we're looking to do, as you've talked about earlier, is to reframe the situation so we can say, look, there are limitations here. But what are the good things that we can make happen? What's good about some of these situations? You're going to get closer to your family. You know, you have more time to be with uh, with folks that you love. So that's one of the things that we take a look at. So, it, you know, particularly during these times when we're going through all this stress and mm-hmm. um, hype and hysteria, it seems like we're pretty darn controllable if we don't drop into our imagination and find new solutions. Um, it, do you see it that way? Absolutely. And once again, stress is a perceived lack of options. And what we have in front of us is people have once again, you know, we go back to our earlier discussions, one right answer, accept the problem as it's stated. Well, what we've been talking about is first, redefine the problem in many ways, look at it from a whole bunch of different angles, pick the best definition of the problem to work on, generate lots of ideas for solving that, pick the best of those ideas and put those ideas into action. And what we just talked about there is essentially the creative process. Redefine the problem, generate the ideas, select and put them into action. And then you're no longer a victim and you're no longer controllable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you take control. You redefine the situation so that it's beneficial for you and the people that are around you. And in that redefinition, all of a sudden the stress level goes by, goes down because people have one or two options. And one of the options is the fight or flight option, which gives people a lot of stress. Well, let's give people some more options. All right. And this is what creativity is all about. It's all about generating options. Amazing. So, um, what I'd like to go into innovation a little more, and this sure. might seem mundane, but would you mind defining it as we're going to be speaking of it? Well, um, <laughs> being in this business for about 40 years, um, I don't see a real big difference between creativity and innovation. But if we want to make a distinction, creativity is the spark that ignites innovation. There's no innovation without creativity. And so creativity is often attributed to the arts or the initial beginning of an idea. Innovation is commercializing that, putting it out into the world, getting people to adopt the idea. Um, So that's the distinction that I would make. 
But really, when you get right back down to it, uh, there's not that big a distinction that I see. Um, and you can be innovative. And, and one of the things that, that I find is that uh, when I'm traveling on airplanes and, you know, the typical airplane conversation, what do you do? I um, talk to the person next to me and I say, well, I'm a creativity consultant. And they go, creativity consultant, do you like do basket weaving? Do you, uh, you know, do you, are you an artist? Or the same scenario, I say, I'm an innovation consultant. And the person perks up, oh, innovation, we love innovation. It seems that people, particularly in business, are much more comfortable with innovation and not so comfortable with creativity because creativity we associate with sort of the wild bohemian art sorts of things. Well, no, you got to have both. Yeah. But yeah, but listening to you speak, it seems to me like the creativity is where it's in the ethers and the imagination and the quantum level, and the innovation is as you bring start to bring it into physicality. Exactly. Would that match up? Absolutely, yeah. The creativity is the initial spark, the initial building, the, crea- the the genesis of the idea. And then the innovation is you're rolling it out, okay? And you're you're dealing with the problems with the rollout, and you're dealing with the, the issues of getting people to adopt the idea. And there's a whole study of called the, the, the diffusion of innovations that actually takes a look at about how new ideas or new practices are adopted. Well, and you can get, we- yeah. We'll have to go into that on the other side of a commercial break. But Roger and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion on how to be creative and how to be innovative. So don't you go away. This is Mission Evolution on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet's day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. It's formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. 
welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. Suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest. You can email us at info at missionevolution.org. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Roger Firestein. His website, rogerfirestein.com. Roger, we were about to go into more deeply into innovation and creativity, how they interact and how you engage both of them. Yes, let me give you an example of that. And let's take two examples, because um, as we were thinking about this over the break, I think you'll find this really fun. Um, So let me ask you this. What do waffles and sneakers have in common? (laughs) You're going to have to tell me. I'll be happy to. Okay, so here's the story. In the early 1970s, Bill and Barbara Bowerman, now Bill Bowerman was the running coach for the University of Oregon running track, running running team. And he tried to come up with this invention to get his uh, his runners to um, have the the cleats, well, it weren't cleats anymore, but have the surface of their, of their, uh, their shoes run on the new artificial turf. They couldn't use cleats anymore. And so he'd been working on this problem. And so they're having breakfast one morning, and Bill had actually had a lab in his basement to build shoes. He'd gone into business with a company in Japan to import different shoes. And he was looking for a new surface that could grip this new track, this AstroTurf. So Barbara is making waffles one morning. And I think you're going to know how this story ends, all right? She opens the waffle iron. He looks at the waffle pattern, and he goes, that just might work for my shoes. He grabs a waffle iron, runs to his basement. By the end of the day, he had prototyped the Nike waffle trainer. Wow. So that's connections. <laughs> and so, so good. Yeah. Well, we have to remain open to them, right? Exactly. I mean, if 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 we're if we're in an inquisitive uh, state of mind versus um, fear again and lack, then we can be open to that. How can we engage in that part of our brain so that we're open to these innovative uh, thoughts and and connections? And that's the beauty of it. You see, Bill Bowerman had been working on this problem for months, right? So the idea is, how can we do this deliberately? So let me give you another example. Um, we have a large General Motors Forge plant up here. And what this plant makes is it make, makes ring gears for cars. Now, a ring gear changes the direction of power in your car. If you have a wheel-wheel drive, you have a ring gear back there. It moves the direction of the power from the engine to the rear wheels. The way you make a ring gear is you take a hot piece of metal, you put it into a die, you put about 50 tons of pressure on it, and this ring gear comes out the other side. Now, that was until a number of years ago when these gears began to st- get, get stuck in the dies. And so what would happen is the operators would put a slab of grease on the die, the die would hold the residue, the dies would break. Each die was costing about $4,000 or $5,000 a piece. They were Ouch. breaking about, yeah, yeah, they were breaking about 10 of these a week. Big problem, right? Now, some of the folks have been trained in creative problem solving at this plant because they'd worked with us over the university. And so one day at the end of the shift, a couple of the team leaders brought together a group of folks that were from all over the plant. He gathered whoever he could who was trained in creative problem solving. And they started to work on the problem of how to prevent the ring gears from getting stuck in the dies. And this goes back to our, our making connections that we talked about a little bit earlier. So they started to generate some ideas, and then they got stuck. And one gentleman uh, said, you know what? He said, we've got a sticking problem here. He said, my wife's got this product that's called Pam. You spray it on the pan, and uh, the, the uh, vegetables don't stick to the pan. What if we sprayed the gears with Pam? Now, there's a chemical engineer in the group, and he said, you know, Pam probably won't work. But an oil and soap solution just might do it. They rush out. They buy spray bottles. They get about 50 cents worth of solution, about a dollar and a half spray bottle. This $2 solution, they spray on the dyes. The dyes, the the gears don't stick. Uh, They save uh, $50,000 a week um, just by the simple connection of making, making a cooking product a connection with an industrial problem. So by being open to that, by allowing folks to come up with those unique ideas and to make those connections back, and then by following those guidelines of not judging those ideas, they solved a $50,000 a week problem. And solution being the, the key word there, right? Exactly. Solution <laughs> is the key word. Pray the, play the, the solution on the die, yes. <laughs> so let's change gears a little bit here, but you're, you're kind of uh, leading into it. Can working in groups rather than individually enhance our ability to problem solve Think tanks, if you will. Yes, both. Um, first off, when you're working with groups, the biggest challenge with groups is that they they think they're brainstorming and they're not, okay? So when you're brainstorming, when you're getting creative in a group, there are specific guidelines that you need to follow. 
First, defer judgment, strive for quantity, seek wild and unusual ideas, combine and build on those ideas. The second thing is when you have a group, it's crucial to have a facilitator. And that's what I train people to do is to facilitate these creativity groups. The facilitator's job is not to contribute to the content of the session. They are the process experts, all right? So they run the process of getting the group to generate lots of different creative questions, selecting those creative questions, generating lots of ideas, uh, selecting those ideas, and then putting together an action plan. So it's the facilitator that runs the process. So when you have a group, you want a group to get creative, a facilitator is crucial. And it could be a member of the group that doesn't have investment in the problem because you don't want to have the person that's running the process to be invested in the problem. That's one thing. The other thing is that in addition to group work, we recommend some individual work as well. So once you've generated lots of ideas for solving a problem, take a break. We have a, another technique that we call brain writing, where people write their ideas down on, on uh, post-it notes, hold on to them, and then put them up for later. So then they're working in many cases individually. So it's group and then individual, and it's a yes and. The other thing that we find, and I believe we talked about this in our earlier segment, is that once you've got these ideas generated and floating around in your brain, while you're doing dishes, while you're doing clothes, while you're washing clothes, oftentimes new ideas will surface because we've got the brain stirred up with all of these new concepts coming. That's the time to capture those ideas and write them down. So yes and. So how important is being a team player rather than ego involved in the group creating problem, creative problem solving process? You know, it's really interesting when you mention that because we have people write their ideas down on a post-it, say it and put it up on the on the flip chart. But when the person or the problem owner selects those ideas, very rarely do people really kind of claim any ownership over them because what you see happening is that a person might have a gem of an idea and then another person will build on that idea and another person will build on that idea. And so in a well-run idea generating session that has a facilitator, the ego is left at the door, all right? Because we're working on the problem. And if you follow the guidelines, and that's the beauty of having a facilitator there to reinforce the guidelines in the process, the process will work, the egos get leveled out, um, and you come up with new and innovative solutions. But it's that deferred judgment thing that's really, really crucial. Mm, it sounds like it would be. So how can creativity and, and innovation help us evolve as human beings? Well, if we take a look at creativity as human beings, it's the highest function of what we do as humans. It's what, who we, it's what we're born to do. We're born to create. And as we talked about earlier, we're all creative and we all create in different and invaluable ways. And particularly in times like this, when we're involved in some very challenging times, this is an opportunity to evolve. This is an opportunity to use these methods to not judge ideas, to build on the ideas of others and move up to that really high functioning aspect of our brain. And that's creativity. So it also seems like from what you're saying that pulling together and leaving the ego at the door is going to be paramount here. Absolutely. And when we do these sessions like this, it's crucial to have someone there to lead the process, to help people leave their egos at the door. And then once again, don't judge. So what we're saying is defer judgment, not suspend judgment. So hold off the judgment of the ideas until a bunch of them are generated and then judge. But don't judge ideas and generate them at the same time. It's not effective at all. So it sounds like you're kind of talking about the difference between judgment and, and discernment, too. Judgment and discernment or divergent thinking and convergent thinking or uh, writer's mind, editor's mind. Yeah, just not judging and then uh, and then discerning later. Absolutely. So would you mind telling our audience where they can find your book? Yes, the book is on Amazon. Uh, it's Create in a Flash, a leader's recipe for breakthrough innovation. You can purchase it through Amazon. You can also purchase it through Barnes & Noble. Um, just go there, and they will be happy to special order the book for you. Or you can also go to my website, rogerfirestein.com, and click on the Create in a Flash book tab. We'll take you right to it. Fantastic. What is your vision for the future, Roger? Well, you saved that for last. <laughs> <laughs> and you better hurry. Ah, <laughs> uh, you got it. Well, my vision for the future is, based on the work that I've done, I've trained more people to lead the creative process than anybody else in the world. I'm so delighted to be able to do that. But when I work with folks, it's my job to give people the tools to create, to actualize, 
to make this world a better place. And I believe that that's going to that's going to sustain us. That's going to get us through these troubling times. And it's what keeps me impassioned. And I'm going to be doing this until I pass away with my with my uh, my in the in the classroom or leading a seminar. Um, so my goal, my passion is folks being able to realize their creativity and put it to use in the world in a wonderful way that benefits us all. Roger, thank you so much for your great service, so much needed at this time. It's been my pleasure. (laughs) Unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you so much for coming on the show, sir. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Our guest this hour has been Roger Firestein, Senior Faculty and Associate Professor at the Center for Applied Imagination at Sunny Buffalo author of Creating a Flash, a leader's recipe for breakthrough innovation, and president of Innovation Resources, Inc. To find out more about Roger and his book, visit his website, rogerfirestein.com. Do remember, our entire information-packed episode collection is available for listener download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Wilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Please join us next time as this important mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world. 